morning again, 59th Street family. We welcome those of you who are joining us a little bit later today as we continue in our sermon series, Voices from the Wilderness, where we explore how various Old Testament prophets continue to call all the children of God, us included, into a deeper holiness and into a deeper walk with our God. Now, last week, we talked a lot about how holiness is something that is given to us through grace, uh, through the grace of God. And today, we're going to be learning about developing a deeper walk with God and growing in personal holiness. And we're going to learn this from someone who's actually not a Christian or not a Jew at all. This is going to be very interesting. We're going to see how a pagan king, despite all of his power, despite all of his wealth, he must eventually find salvation from God alone. And throughout this week, as I was contemplating the, uh, you know, about the sermon and contemplating the thought of the foolishness of relying on human strength and ingenuity, um, I thought back to one of my favorite childhood movies, uh, Jurassic Park. Now, I'm pretty sure all of us, we've we've watched Jurassic Park, or at least we're kind of familiar with the storyline. But for those who are not, Jurassic Park is essentially an amusement park, but it's not just any park. Um, It's a park that discovered how to bring dinosaurs back to life. And the crazy thing about Jurassic Park is that the science that they use with the DNA, um, it's crazy. It's actually not science fiction what they're using to recreate these dinosaurs. It's actually real science, like college, university kids, they learn about this all the time. So these are real scientists, and this is scientists that have used this technology to, of course, recreate um, these dinosaurs to now, you know, walk amongst the earth. And the entire philosophy behind Jurassic Park is that it's a critique of human ambition. Um, In the 80s and 90s, most of the world still lived with a very modernistic mindset in that we believe that science would solve all of the world's problems. And in fact, well, the thing is, we have to be honest, science has done absolutely incredible things, and it is still doing absolutely incredible things to improve our quality of life and even the length of our lives. However, the point of Jurassic Park is that there is a limit. There is simply a limit that we as humans cannot pass through. When humans try to play God by messing with nature and recreating dinosaurs, we are stepping into a role that we are simply not meant to play. And the grand irony, this grand paradox of Jurassic Park is that despite the advanced level of science they have, the meticulous planning they made, and even the most stringent security protocols Chaos still erupts in Jurassic Park. Despite all their planning, despite all their knowledge, they find themselves completely helpless in the face of the raw power of nature. And as the movie progresses, we quickly see Jurassic Park turn from a story of human triumph over nature to a tale of survival and humility. The people at the park, they experience this paradox of power where although they were at the heights of a technological breakthrough, they were ultimately rendered powerless and they had to submit themselves to these creatures that they once sought to dominate. And so as we kind of turn our eyes to Daniel chapter six, we see a very similar theme that despite all the wealth, despite all the power that King Darius had, he was forced to humble himself and forced to put his trust in a power that was greater than him. So let's take a look at our passage today from Daniel chapter 6, starting from verse 
13. But just as a backdrop for those who might not be too familiar with the story, um, King Darius, he basically made a rule that all people must worship this king, must worship King Darius for the next 30 days. And any person that prays to any other god or any other human being must be put to death by being thrown into the lion's den. And this was a rule that was without exception. Even King Darius's own family had to obey this. And so the hero of our story, Daniel, despite hearing this, he continues to pray to God three times a day. And the government officials, they use this as a plan to have Daniel killed since Daniel is Jewish. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter six, starting from verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed because King Darius loved Daniel quite a lot. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And so the king gave the order. And he brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. But at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. As we turn our eyes to King Darius, we see that we're drawn into this very interesting paradox of power as we kind of take a look at the situation. See, at this point in history, King Darius was not just the most powerful king of the ancient Near East, but he was actually the most powerful king in the entire world. No other king could match his power, his wealth, his prestige, his honor. He had immense authority. He was the ruler of a vast empire and he literally held the power of life and death in his hands. Whoever he wanted to kill, he would kill. Whoever he wanted to spare, he would spare. Yet as we're told in verses 14 to 15, we find that King Darius is completely and utterly powerless when faced with the consequences of his own decree that he made. And for me, this is quite a, quite a funny image, right? The ruler, the most powerful nation in the entire world, sitting in his magnificent palace, surrounded by all these expensive and fine things, yet he wrings his hands in despair as he feels the weight of his own powerlessness, probably for the very first time in his life. To so imagine a man who could get whatever he wants, do whatever he wants, finally be placed in a situation where the only thing he can do is sit on his hands and pray. 
And this is a very instructive lesson for us today because it presents us with an important reflection on the limitations of human power and control. That despite our best efforts, our strengths, our planning, or even our seeming control over our surroundings, the actual truth of reality is that we are not the masters of our destinies as we often like to think. It reminds us that no amount of power, no amount of wealth or status can ultimately save us. And when we're forced into this position, whether by my words today or by reality itself, it places us in a position where we see our own frailty and we see our need for greater power, power that is greater than ourselves, a power that transcends our human weaknesses and failures. And it's at this point that we see an interesting contrast, right? Daniel, Darius, he has all this external power, this, you know, he controls all this land, he, you know, he can control armies, people, he has massive wealth. Exteriorly, he is completely, you know, powerful, but internally, he's completely helpless. While Daniel, on the other hand, after being thrown into a lion's den, he is externally vulnerable, but yet he possesses an internal strength. And as scripture presents this contrast, we are invited also to examine our lives. When we look at Darius and Daniel, which character do we resemble more? To what do we place our trust? And more importantly, where does Daniel's strength come from, his internal strength? And this past week, I was actually um, telling a congregant about how I actually got to 59th Street Church. Um, some of you might know how I got here, some of you might not, but it was a very tumultuous time for both the church and for me. Uh, back in 2018, I just graduated from semer seminary and my old church informed me that they would not be willing to put me on staff despite serving them in youth ministry for six years. So my plan A, which was to serve at my old home church, that plan A has gone straight down the drain. And for me, I had no plan B whatsoever. That's my story. On 59th Street's story, it was just as equally terrible. Pastor Aaron, he was just about to leave when there was a sudden influx of youth and children from literally out of nowhere. And the church was scrambling to figure out what to do. Both the church and I felt completely powerless to change the situation that we found ourselves in. And it was at this moment that the both of us, the church and myself, that we had to find strength in something much greater than ourselves, a strength that Daniel knew very well. So let's actually take a look at that in our next sermon point, the power of faith. And as we kind of shift our attention from Darius to Daniel, we see that Daniel's response to this crisis is almost paradoxical, right? That despite Daniel's life, being in danger, he sort of radiates this calmness, this tranquility, this peace. He radiates, radiates this sort of unshakable faith in a situation where most of us would probably dissolve into terror at the face of, you know, <laughs> being torn to shreds by, you know, lions. And in such a situation, Daniel's trust in God remains steadfast. And it is this faith that sustains him throughout the entire ordeal. And what we can learn from Daniel's response is this. That Daniel, he doesn't plea for his life. Daniel, he doesn't crumble under the weight of his situation. Like a tree, Daniel does not waver. But why? Why does Daniel's faith not waver? Because Daniel's faith is not rooted in his circumstances. Most of us, myself included, we often tie our faith to our circumstances. 
We believe and trust in God only when times are good and there isn't a trouble in the world. But unfortunately, when disaster strikes, our faith begins to crumble. Our faith begins to dissolve. And so unfortunately, when we tie our faith to external circumstances, we actually practice foolishness. It's like a man who seeks shade under a cloud on a hot day. As long as the cloud is over his head, he's happy. But once the cloud moves, he's scorched once again. So instead of chasing after clouds that come and go, wouldn't it be much wiser to find a tree instead? Likewise, when we tie our faith to external circumstances like good times, like a cloud that comes and goes, we expose ourselves to a very unpredictable faith journey that constantly shifts from comfort to discomfort in literally matters of moments. However, if we anchor our faith in the unwavering faithfulness of God, much like a tree that provides constant shade, we find a faith that is sturdy, constant, and capable of allowing us to weather the highs and the lows of life. And the reality of life is that, unfortunately, it often leads us down paths filled with our own versions of this lion's den. Whether these be situations in our personal lives, our work life, or even within our own families, we often face trials, fears, and we wrestle with situations that are completely out of our control. And in these moments, we, like King Darius, we might feel hopeless and anxious. But the story of Daniel stands as a reminder that there is an entirely different approach to our lives and to our faith. It teaches us to root our lives, not in the passing circumstances, but to find strength and hope in the power and the faithfulness of God and his promises. And who is this God that we put our hope in? He's the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow until all of eternity. He is the God who has given us the promise of resurrection through Jesus Christ. He is the God who has promised an eternal inheritance for us. And so when we find ourselves in the lion's den, we ultimately know where we are headed, and we know ultimately who we belong to as well. Now, as we kind of shift our focus for a moment um, to our present day reality, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves, what does the story of Darius and Daniel mean for us in our own context, in our own lives? How does it apply to our lives as believers as we kind of navigate a world filled with complex challenges and our own versions of the lion's den? Well, first, as we consider the social landscape we all find ourselves in, uh, we see that it is one that places an immense amount of trust in tangible things, much like King Darius. Um, in my current generation, at least, I think the desire for wealth and riches is absolutely astronomical. And there's always this relentless chase for more and more money, to do more side hustles, to make more and more money, to have more and more money in our investments and in our bank accounts. But why is there such a relentless chase? Well, if we take a look at our generation, most of us as kids, we have seen our parents laid off from work because of bankers trying to play God with the housing markets. We have seen that job security in our generation is no longer a thing that exists. We see the cost of everything from food, education, and rent go up while wages has been stagnant for quite a while. And so we come to a grips with a reality that no matter what we do, 
there's always this underlying insecurity of disaster that seems to always be around the corner, whether that be sudden layoffs in the technology field, hyperinflation driving the cost of everything even more than you know, what it has been, or the rise of artificial intelligence and how that could put thousands upon thousands out of work. And on top of this financial insecurity, hey, it gets even worse. There's now an exponential increase in gun violence, especially with children and teens. The trust in our government is near historic lows at 20%. And when we look at the global geopolitical climate with wars being waged and the proliferation of nuclear weapons, I think most people feel that their entire lives now balance on the edge of a knife. We, in many ways, feel like King Darius, completely and radically powerless in light of our situation. A hopelessness that, like a poison, enters into the deepest parts of our beings and closes our eyes from our God. We begin to seek security in things that come and go, much like the man who seeks shade in shifting clouds. So if we are to put our trust in God, as we've mentioned in our previous point, how exactly do we do that in a way that addresses these radical insecurities in our lives? Well, first, we have to come to understand, uh, we have to come to a very deep understanding of who our God is for us as Christians. He's indeed our savior, but he's also our father who provides. Coming back to the story of me just graduating from sem uh, seminary earlier that I mentioned before, um, as I said, both the church and I were facing a very tumultuous time in that we have no idea what to do given the circumstance that we were in. From a financial perspective, um, I needed to be able to eat. I needed to be able to survive. But at the same time, I didn't want my seminary degree to go to waste either and pursue a job outside of the church. But on the church's end, they also saw a need for a qualified seminary graduate who is Chinese American, preferably from Brooklyn, and also has a heart for youth ministry. And the thing that always amazes me is that when we both trusted in God as our Father who provides, He joined us together in a manner where God's sovereignty and control were simply unmistakable that just as Pastor Aaron leaves and the church is drafting up its job description, I, in turn, graduate from seminary with a desire, with a heart to serve these Chinese-American youths in Brooklyn. But more than God's provision, there is actually a deeper and more profound security that we find in God, and that is the security of our souls. If you read the passage, we see that despite Daniel knowing that he could be killed for praying to God, this man, he still does it anyways. And the thing is, Daniel, he's not dumb, right? He's not oblivious. Daniel did this because he was ready. He was prepared to die. And the thing is, Daniel had nothing to fear. He acknowledged that although he might be thrown into a pit of lions and ripped to shreds, Daniel knew that he will spend eternity with God. He might lose his life here on earth, but he already has his eyes on something far more precious and far more meaningful. In the words of Jesus, Daniel did not store up for himself treasures on earth, but he stored up treasures in heaven. And ultimately, for us as Christians, this treasure is the assurance of our salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not tied to something that is here one day and gone the next, but it is rooted in the death and resurrection of Christ, where he has defeated even death itself and given all of us the promise of our own resurrection. 
And this understanding, if we actually truly understand it, this understanding profoundly changes our response to trials and tribulations. Yes, we acknowledge there is always a constant threat of financial insecurity or social upheaval, but when we do not even have to fear death itself, what in life is there left to fear? When we find eternal and everlasting love in God, all other things begin to pale in comparison and bring us true joy. And when God calls us as his own good and faithful servants, there is no higher honor. There's no higher prestige in this world that can compare to that either. And so as we're about to end the sermon, as we're about to enter into a period of prayer, I invite us to reflect for a moment on where we find genuine satisfaction in our physical and spiritual lives. Are we chasing after clouds, seeking security and validation in things that are here one day and gone the next? Or have we finally found rest with God? Have we finally found security in the promise of our own eternal lives? Have we found lasting joy in our union with God? Have we found honor knowing that one day as we meet our creator, he'll greet us by calling us as his good and faithful servants? So why don't we come together uh, for a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, today we are ultimately humbled by you. Like Darius, we try to seek after things in this world that we think will give us satisfaction and security. Um, like the wind, our joys appear and disappear as we try to find them in possessions, wealth, and the praise of others. But even in our foolishness, uh, your voice calls out to us to return back to you. And today, Father, we have come back to you. We have returned. We have come back to the foot of the cross and recognize that you are enough. Without a doubt, man needs bread to live, but we do not live by bread alone. So allow us to turn our lives to you, knowing that everything we ultimately need is found in you. Let us also acknowledge today that you indeed are our Father who provides us well. It might not always be what we want, but we confess, Lord, that it will always be what we need. For you know even the numbers of hair on our head, and you have seen and directed the course of our lives since you have known us in our mother's womb. So, Father, we pray that you'll continue to bless us and allow us to grow into a deeper relationship with you. We thank you and we praise you. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen.